is Life in the Fast Chain. For this episode, Todd McDonald joins me back in the studio to talk about recent news and Web3. And then we have Michelle Neal on from Ledger Edge to talk about her rich background in financial services and how she got to Ledger Edge, what they're trying to solve. Hope you enjoy it. back in the studio. Thank you for joining me. It's great to be back, Catherine. And so soon. <laughs> yeah, I know. So soon. Yes. What's been going on since you were last on? Uh, I don't know. What has been going on? Uh, we're getting ready for, for the holiday seasons coming up. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just had a really nice Thanksgiving lunch. Yes, that was, that was wonderful. That uh, was wonderful. Reading reading the articles, reading the tweets, those yeah. kinds of things. What's going on in the news. One thing I've noticed. Okay. Have you... I want to ask you a question. Oh. Do you know what Web3 is? Yes. Okay. But not not oh. <laughs> don't ask me about it. But oh, I no, do know I just, what you're like. Have I want to have you noticed? Everyone's talking about Web three in like the last like five weeks. I think probably subconsciously, because I maybe five weeks ago I wouldn't have even known what you were talking about. Not like I really do right now. Yeah, but <laughs> because so, I never really know what's, <laughs> what I what I do and don't know in these situations. So, uh, is one thing I was, you know, I had started to see it kind of everywhere, but once you start paying attention to something, it's sort of like when you say, imagine a red car and then you go out in the street, all you're going to see is red cars. Yeah. Right? So maybe I was just sort of pattern matching. Well, now I'm going to, you know, yeah. Now everything's going to be a web three red car. Yeah. So, uh, I asked a few folks the last couple of days and, and it, it seems to have potentially been something that sort of the normies are, are kind of adopting. So the non-crypto folk mm-hmm. are starting to use this phrase. Um, and I, and even just in the last couple of days, I've seen this. So Web3 is this concept of the third sort of iteration of the internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one phrase is Web1 was read, Web2 is read, write, and Web3 is read, write, own. Okay. It's hard to say that all together. Um, and so we think about the creator, sort of the, the, the uh, creator economy and NFTs and all that stuff. So that's yes. sort of the concept yeah, yeah, of it. Yeah. But, in some other ways, it, it feels like it's um, so it's like a it's like a cultural twist on the adoption of crypto, I guess in some ways. Okay. Um. So so I'm trying to figure out, you know, is it real? Is it a fad? I'm not 100 percent sure. What I'm do you What do you sure. think? I mean, this is a great question, yeah. Todd. I feel you didn't like know I was going to turn the tables. I on you didn't today. know you were going to turn the tables, but I guess I shouldn't really have any expectations when I'm constantly throwing people off on the, on the podcast. On the podcast. So, um, I mean, it feels real. It feels like we're moving towards that with mm-hmm. everything that we're working on. Um, and not, I mean, just technology itself mm-hmm. going further. I never would have thought, I remember when I first, and it was more recently than I should admit, was learning about NFTs. I was like, that's not going to take off. Did you know they had uh, the Bored Ape Yacht Club 
you, you know the board apes yeah yeah jimmy fallon bought one yeah. and all this other stuff i know that's the thing like there's celebrities who are kind of just yeah. jumping in on it. there's there was a board ape yacht club physical meeting in new york really yeah and uh it is the, it's the broiest uh group of people if you look at the pictures okay of, of the but it was in person it was irl yeah Okay. <laughs> Am I allowed to say that IRL? No, I'm not good. sure. Okay. Wow, you uh, you also I feel like really know what's going on with in like the events in New York City. Mm. Yeah, you've been more social than me, knowing I, about these things. Uh, well, last time you. you were on, you were at NFT NYC. We, oh my gosh, that is yeah. true. Yeah. Maybe I am. Maybe, maybe I am the NFT bro. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> yeah. But I Maybe thought that, are. oh, uh, yeah. So, okay. Like a couple other things here. On okay. my, I got like dashboard here for yeah, yeah. when I, uh, you're teaching me things. Okay, cool. So crypto.com is now the new name for the Staples center in LA. What? So there's a story. It's like, happen? here's is one story. It says, uh, uh, crypto has gone Hollywood. Of course it has. Yes. Um, and so Andreessen Horowitz, uh, Katie Hahn says, the concept of Web3 is quickly going mainstream and becoming part of the culture. Anyone involved in creating content, particularly in the entertainment industry, recognizes NFTs and other Web3 technologies as creating new forms of ownership and better ways to connect with fans. That's a very good quote that you pulled out. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my thing. I feel like it's it's like the snowball effect that uh -huh. we're all kind of moving towards this and, and bringing in Hollywood and content creators is a whole other whole other thing so but. that's so i agree there's so then we, let's take let's flip it around what's the skeptical okay. take it's potentially uh and of course our resident uh pedantic skeptic richard gandall brown came up with this sort of take okay it's a way for people to kind of be able to get involved and say they are into web3 without having to say they were wrong about everything else in the past so like well i wasn't into all that crypto stuff but web3 is like the Oh, yeah. Name. It's like a scapegoat, kind of like you're still hip and in it, but you, you hip, didn't. Yeah. And exactly. You discount that I was wrong for the last seven years, but now I'm in. So and there's so I'm okay. going to I'm going to I'm going to uh, audio retweet. <laughs> so, okay. uh, tweet. Uh, this is uh, Joe Wiesenthal is a Bloomberg uh, columnist, um, very massively on, online person. Mm -hmm. He's like, I was a Bitcoin skeptic and to some extent still am. But Web3 is very intriguing to me is the new. I'm a fiscal conservative, but socially liberal. So it's just a way okay. to, to kind yeah. of present yourself as being a way to not be like liable for anything. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's like I wasn't into all that crypto pump and dump stuff. It's more about the Web three. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, that's my Web three rant. Thank you. I learned something. So I think I probably, if I were to guess where I've heard about the Web three stuff slash have been a little, mm -hmm. is probably with more of the. Hollywood content creators yes. being kind of trying to get involved and trying to be hip and pretend that they've like kind of like uh, been I in saw, it all Yeah, along. I saw um, what's his name? Quentin Tarantino selling NFTs of Pulp Fiction and you think he got sued by his own studio. Really? <laughs> yes. Right click, I saved your movie, I guess. I um, have not gotten involved in NFTs personally because I feel like I really would like to learn more. Like to me, this all of these these cutesy little graphic things that you own. I just, it's, I'm not it's bought It's sort in. of like people my age trying to use Snapchat. You know, that's that's what's <laughs> yeah. happening to you. Yeah, I don't, I'm just not built into that. I don't need to own a little bit of that. If I cared about it, maybe. So yeah. I think I need to, for me to get involved in that space, I would that, need to care more so than just honestly, like throwing money at that's it. That's the thing. It's like you get involved and then you care about it. So oh. like the, the board ape thing, like you, you see all these people, they're wearing like their own the avatar, what they call it, um, 
uh, P, P, uh, profile picture, PFPs. Yes, profile yeah. picture. PFPs. That's horrible. So they buy their board ape PFP. <laughs> and this guy's like wearing a shirt that okay. has his board ape on it. It's like, yeah. look, this is my identity. This okay. thing right here. So this is interesting though. So to me, that sounds like, like, do you know Bitmojis and stuff? Yeah. But putting money on like a Bitmoji yeah. or something. So I guess That's 100%. forever, I mean, not forever, for the last like years, I guess we're kind of building to this and yes. like personalization, but then now we're putting money into it. Yeah. So that's an interesting way to think about all of this kind of converging. Um, but you're right. Maybe like just like my fantasy football team, I don't really care unless I like when I put some thought and effort into it, then I care. But I don't really care. And also to use the fantasy analogy. <laughs> OK. You care a lot about your own fantasy football team. And the last thing I want to hear about is your fantasy football team. It's sort of yeah. like me telling you about an NFT I just bought. No one's going to care. Yeah, that's true. This is I feel like this is like what's my beef <laughs> kind of thing. I'm not actually that angry about it. It's just I'm trying to kind of make sense of it. Well, it helped me it that's helped me actually a lot to make mm. sense of it. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Now I'm a, I'm a little bit smarter. So yes. And one quickly, one other thing. Oh, okay. Oh, I was going to move on to something else totally different. Oh, are we about to say the same thing? I don't know. Ready? 3 2, two one. One, 6 digital exchange. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. That's it. Okay. Tell me what uh, what was recently uh, put out there. So, uh, just uh, I guess like an hour ago. Yeah. I don't know. We're not when some we're time ago before yeah. this uh, has been recorded. So, Six Group, they uh, have been building Six Digital Exchange for a few years. They're partners of ours. They're using Corda. Uh, mm-hmm. We are great fans of what they're doing, and uh, I think I was talking about this yesterday in our town hall and said what. They they are they're an inspiration to a lot of the other market infrastructure out there. They're building a twenty four seven digital exchange mm-hmm. today. Earlier today, they launched uh, the first fully first digital bond in a fully regulated environment. So they've issued this bond, very oversubscribed, fully digital, end to end, and this is just the beginning. So they're they've built this infrastructure to be able to issue uh, true digital instruments initially that look and feel like financial instruments that we all know and love today. Mm-hmm. And importantly, some another story that came out a couple of weeks ago that I was, you know, wasn't really that well covered is they've been working with the Swiss National Bank. Yeah. Um, to because they have accounts directly with this with the with the Swiss National Bank to settle this into central bank accounts, which is aka central bank digital currency. So all this stuff that we've been talking about for the yeah. last few years around creating net new digital infrastructure for regulated markets. Uh, for uh, the complete life cycle of digital instruments settling yeah. into central bank money with institutional investors having access to it in a way where they don't actually have to really even change anything they're doing because it fits into what their their infrastructure is today. Yeah, This is what That's SIX huge. is doing. So this happened earlier today. And we're going to start to see a real, I think, snowball effect of this happening across uh, market infrastructure in the regulated markets. As they say, it's happening. Yeah. Well, also, no matter what, it's huge news. Um, but it is also kind of cool that they're leveraging Corda. It is kind of cool. But, it, but you know, they've put in a lot of... It's much bigger than that, I yes, know. Yes, and they but... put in a lot of effort. And so, really, kudos to, to the team there. Yeah. Uh, so, but... noted, we would be talking about it if they didn't use Corda also. This is true. Yes. It's true. Well, thank you for educating me on these things. Thank you for my Web3 therapy session. It was very, really good. And I can, I'll book 50 minutes next week as well so we can go through this again. Sounds good. Todd right. McDonald, always lovely to have you on. It's great to be here. Thanks very much, Kathy.
of Ledger Edge. Thank you for joining me in the studio today. Thank you for having me. It's very nice talking to you today. The first time that we interacted, um, I did not know you were coming into the R3 office because we both had forgotten our passes to get in. That's right. And I was so pleased that I finally had my R3 key fob pass. And then I realized that I left it in my other bag in Boston. So I'm without it all week this week. That's a tough one because I typically am the kind of person that if I have to get a day pass, which I did that day, I won't leave the office because I get so anxious having to get another pass each time you walk in the door. Um, I don't know if that's everyone. I I assume it's a me problem, but I think that's also because I'm very good with confrontation in certain things, but passes. Yeah. I mean, it's a bit of a pain and it's especially a pain when you're coming in with other people who have a pass and then they have to wait for you or they feel like they have to wait for you while you go and get checked in and have your picture taken and get another pass. But it's not the end of the world. They're pretty accommodating. It's even worse when you get up to the R3 floor and then there's nobody at reception and then you're like, oh my God, I hope somebody comes by sometime soon. Yeah, true. Yeah, especially if you come in super early, which is not necessarily a problem for me um, in this COVID situation. Um, But yeah, so I also just caught, which I did not catch before. You came from Boston? I did. Do you live in Boston? Um, I'm kind of in between Brooklyn and Boston at the moment. Cool. I went to school near Boston and Holy Cross. So I, I have a special place in my heart for Boston and Worcester. 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 Worcester, Mass. Yes. I grew up in, um, in on the South Shore. Oh, um, nice. In the town called Hanover. And um, I've been away since 1994 until September. Um, and now I'm back wow. with my family. Where were you um, throughout all that time? Were you in one place or were you um, Well, around? I went from the South Shore um, town that I grew up in, and I lived in Charlestown in Boston mm-hmm. um, until um, 1998, and then I moved um, to the UK um, until 2015, and then I moved to Brooklyn. So, Brooklyn lifestyle. How do you like it? Are you going to walk around in the office with like beanies and stuff? No, you're not falling no, into it's that? just not. I mean, I actually love Brooklyn. I think the housing stock is beautiful. Yeah. Um, it's actually a great place um, for families because there's tons of kids, mm-hmm. um, you know, but um, I think really the reason why I wanted to move my family back to Boston was because um, that's where my family is mm-hmm. um, and my husband's from the UK. Um, so we don't, we don't really have, although we have quite a number of great friends um, in New York and in Brooklyn, um, we don't really have any family. Mm-hmm. And uh, being quite housebound for the best part of 18 months, we decided um, it might be nice to just be around family. And yeah. it's a really short hop, skip, and a jump to get here to New York by planes, trains, or automobile, whatever you yeah. choose. And yeah. so um, we're, we're in the process of kind of finalizing our move selling our house I'm staying there at the moment it's very emotional I'm sure um and so I keep thinking do we really want to do this do we really not want to do this I don't really know (laughs) um and so yeah it's pretty tricky (laughs) yeah I can't imagine I I really want to live in in different places I was born in New Jersey and I'm now in New York I spent some time in London I love London do you miss London at all I do um yeah and in fact I um I didn't really um, have any plans to leave the UK. Um, and I probably would have imagined I might have 
spent the rest of my life there. But mm. um, I had an opportunity um, uh, job-wise to come back to the U.S. And um, in discussions with my husband, um, we decided on balance it would be good for our family. Yeah. Um, I love the U.K., but I do think that um, American mentality as it relates to um, – uh, a way about thinking um, about your education and opportunity and how to think that nothing's out of reach if you work hard enough for it is mm-hmm. a great way for kids to grow up. Yeah. Um, and I think you get a lot more of that here in the U.S. than you do in the U.K. But yeah. if you can actually take that mentality to the U.K., you yeah. can be a very successful person. Yeah, that's very true. So I want to talk about let's, so we've talked a little personal background. Um, before we go into what Ledger Edge is, I guess, a natural segue is into your professional background and how you got to Ledger Edge. Um, how, how did your career start? How because it's a big change going from your past jobs into a fifteen-ish person startup, right? So how did how did your career start? Um, it is and it isn't, and okay. I guess hopefully that will all become clear as I uh, talk about the journey <laughs> a little bit. But um, so yeah, I, I I grew up in in the Boston area. I went to university um, there. I went to Suffolk University. Nice. Um, and I I did a degree in finance. I actually always thought that I wanted to to be a lawyer, mm. and um, I spent um, uh, some time working in um, a law firm um, when I was in um, college and. Um, it quick, quickly became apparently apparent to me that um, in, through working with um, investment advisors and people who are managing money on behalf of clients, and I was working on settling estates and doing estate planning and things like that, mm-hmm. um, just that small slice or microcosm of finance to me just seemed a bit more fun than, yeah. than the law. Um, so I, I made a little bit of a um, change in track um, on um, my um, my uh, my university plan and um, took on a major in finance and um, and then ultimately started my career um, actually in investment management software. So the what I would call probably the very early days of fintech. I don't even think fintech was a word. Um, <laughs> In the late 90s, but basically, um, you know, there were, you know, a small number of companies that focused on really helping to automate uh, the investment process from portfolio construction to centralized trading, um, being compliant with compliance restrictions on a pre and post trade basis. And um, and also kind of the very early days of starting to become networked to um, electronic trading um, companies. uh, networks for, uh-huh. for mo- mostly in the equity space, um, and in in basically being involved in that from kind of a product management and a client implementation standpoint, um, I ultimately um, became really networked and connected into sort of the sell side mm-hmm. um, of uh, of markets and investment banking, um, and um, ultimately made my way to London, mm-hmm. um, where um, I basically um, started my investment banking career in electronic trading. Wow. Um, initially focused on um, equity products. Um, but then over the course of the last, you know, 20 plus years, um, I would say the vast majority has been um, he- more heavily weighted towards fixed income products, um, okay. uh, rates, credit, um, foreign exchange. So mm-hmm. some of what they call the macro set of products, rates, foreign exchange, commodities, um, and then spread products, credit yeah. products, um, securitized products, things like that. Um, 
And, uh, and so while I was in London, I, um, I spent, you know, the first 10 years I worked for RBS, which was an amazing institution that, um, was really trying to, um, grow its, um, its European and ultimately global presence, um, following the merger with, uh, NatWest. And, Mm -hmm. um, they had a vision to do that, um, as much as they could with electronic distribution and electronic footprint. Um, they were becoming primary dealers in European markets and they wanted to be electronic market makers in doing that. Um, and so, um, you know, it might be hard to imagine that actually sort of, you know, a, a, you know, a British bank became, you know, a, a world dominating, you know, force in investment banking through that kind of vision. Yeah. Um, and I also had the opportunity to, um, as part of doing my functional role as running the electronic trading businesses um, to manage a strategic investment portfolio of assets in market infrastructure companies. Um, So those would be um, um, electronic trading platforms in the marketplace for wholesale participants, like the business that banks do between each other, um, Mm -hmm. platforms um, that uh, basically um, banks use to transact with their clients, um, data companies, Mm -hmm. um, and then what I call um, post-trade services. So those might be clearinghouses, exchanges. Um, And so um, I spent a great deal of time, um, you know, involved in helping the firm to um, establish these investments, um, have a voice in the industry in terms of how uh, market structure evolved. Um, and that, you know, ultimately was was very impactful um, up and until um, the point of the global financial crisis when I was very involved in um, um, the unwind of, say, Lehman's um, portfolios inside LCH. Yeah. And um, what ultimately became um, uh, the 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 introduction of um, the clearing of derivative products um, as a business um, between banks and clients and and how um, banks would commercialize their business around that kind of regulation and what kind of platform businesses would be need to deliver it. Yeah. Um, and so, um, you know, I, I, I subsequently moved on from RBS and um, I joined another institution and I was responsible for, um, you know, everything from the you know, the front end electronic businesses through to post-trade services, um, clearing of derivatives, um, what ultimately became um, the prime services environment. And, um, and you know, it was a really great opportunity for me personally as a woman in investment banking to be involved in um, such a, an emerging and impactful set of um, businesses, um, changes in market structure. Mm-hmm. And, and that ultimately led me to, um, you know, just... Um, more um, senior and uh, more senior roles, more responsibility in in general leadership roles in investment yeah. banking. Um, but I always kind of kept my um, my sort of uh, strong uh, orientation towards um, electronic trading, yeah. automation, efficient markets. So mm-hmm. in whatever leadership role I was doing, it was always important to me to make sure that we had a strong strategy around that because clearly yeah. it is the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, and so, you know, obviously come full circle. Um, <laughs> I really wanted to come back um, into a more um, product orientated company yeah. and, uh, you know, kind of just get into more of an entrepreneurial environment. Um, and that's what sort of led me to Ledger Edge. It's really feels serendipitous listening to you hear like talk about your career and all the moves that you've made throughout your career to get you to Ledger Edge. That was really fascinating for me, especially like you said, like 
kind of leaning into um, the the technology. I don't know. I think that's a really, really cool. It's, it's people like you, I feel like when I talk, sit down and have like the privilege to talk to um, someone who's had so much experience, it makes me trust the current, your current project or the current platform that you're working on even more because I could tell everyone why I think Ledger Edge is great and we're changing the corporate bond market but I don't have as much credibility you know and that's not a knock on me it's just a general like your experience kind of helps me to believe in the platform even more that's how, how I also think about a lot of different people, but Richard Gendel Brown at, at R3, it's like his experience and the way he talks about, and I know his background and the way he talks about Corda and Conclave, it just makes you believe in the platform even more. So that's well, it's how nice I feel of right you now. to say so. Um, <laughs> and, and, and actually, uh, uh, quite, quite, uh, quite, it's, it's quite nice to hear that because I've also heard a few other people say that as well, um, yeah. that have said, wow, if, um, if you're there, we, we actually really want to pay attention. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so that's obviously very, um, very flattering, uh, first <laughs> of all. Um, and obviously, most importantly, I hope it helps Ledger Edge. Yeah. Um, you know, there was um, a bunch of things that I looked at over the course of the last year. Um, and I took my, as I always have taken my career decisions actually very, very seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I took this one seriously as well, and I, I looked at a number of different opportunities, um, and I felt that the mix of um, solving a problem that is very much uh, present today mm-hmm. um, in terms of um, the efficiency of corporate bond markets, um, how um, electronic trading platforms um, support that process, um, but then also um, doing that in what I would call a future-proof technology stack and environment. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's hard to, I think, get people to move into, um, you know, ever-increasing digital paradigms, digital assets, tokenized securities. Um, you know, these are things that um, excite people that they want to be involved in, but at the same time, not everybody operates at the same speed. Mm-hmm. Not every institution is ready. Not every platform is ready. Not every platform is regulated. Not every... Um, you know, not everything, um, you know, has the same efficacy. And I think that um, by by basically having a future-proof um, tech stack that is instantly capable of supporting um, digital issuance paradigms, digital settlement paradigms, but at the same time doesn't impose these paradigms on our clients in yeah. order to be able to benefit from um, the functionality and capability set that we're delivering today, I think is a really strong offering mm-hmm. um, because it means that we can help our clients get the right uh, platform and environment into their institution, use it for capabilities they need right now to improve on those. And then as the market continues to evolve, they have the right technology and house to be able to move quickly and capture the opportunities or be able to support their clients um, yeah. and just be ready. Yeah. Um, and so I think that that's, you know, a really strong combination of, um, like basically today and the future. Yeah. I'm sure our listeners have an idea of what Ledredge is, um, based on the last few minutes, but for, uh, all of us that don't necessarily know what problems you are trying to solve, what is Ledredge and what are you trying to solve in the corporate bond market? Um, so Ledger Edge is a DLT, Distributed Ledger Technology Enabled Trading Ecosystem. Um, 
although its capability set has applicability across a broad range of asset classes, um, we decided to focus on the corporate bond market, mm-hmm. um, the, corp- the part of the corporate bond market, which is investment grade and high yield trading. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, really we're sort of, um, I would describe our unique selling proposition or our you know, distinct value proposition um, in in a few key ways. Um, We have um, what we call smart orders um, that allow um, clients to find the right liquidity for the right type of order with the right type of market participant on the other side. we, um, we also um, are putting data governance and data ownership back into the hands of our clients. Uh, a lot of the incumbent platforms in the industry have very significant businesses around data, data monetization. Um, and when clients provide their data, it is you know, ultimately aggregated and uh, becomes part of a data product. Um, I think that has um, you know, obviously created a lot of um, resentment um, mm-hmm. about, about data, the value of data. And, um, and so really, we do a couple of things as it relates to data. One, we actually protect it in the way it is um, distributed and deployed in the system in order to meet our clients' trading objectives. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do this through what we call reveal conditions by being able to specify on either a named or a characteristic basis where their information should be revealed. Um, and then, um, you know, obviously over time, I think we have the ability to sort of shift um, the um, the ability for clients to monetize their own data or to basically take back uh, the ability to monetize their data um, is, an, is another um, key point. Um, you know, we also are a multilateral sort of trading environment. Um, but um, we have strong capabilities to allow clients to enhance their brand, enhance their franchise by being able to trade directly with each yeah. other, directly with their client. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's uh, it's not an, an open marketplace where um, people have to reveal, um, you know, what they're what it is they're trying to do to a wide range of participants or what they believe they're the right prices to a right, wide range of participants. They can do that on a selective uh, basis and they can do that in a way which enhances their relationship relationships. Um, and we do that all at what we believe is probably one of the most competitive um, fee schedules in the market. Yeah. Wow. Um, so what do you find? And I know that I've taken up a lot of your time. So I am I'm conscious that I will have to let you leave the studio instead of <laughs> have you teach me things. Um, but what do you find is the most challenging um, thing in what you guys are trying to do? Is it adoption? Is it like skepticism in the market? And I'm asking that because uh, my boyfriend is a corporate bond broker and I find their the way they do business is very old school and they should probably talk to you guys. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I, th- I think that, you know, obviously, you know, running a business, building a business, uh, you know, you have lots of things that keep you up at night, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think fundamentally the the efficacy of our business model, the collaborative approach that we are taking to building consensus with our clients around what's important to them, um, our um, commitment and ability to deliver what we say we're going to deliver um, and to kind of stick to our value set, um, I think is is really important. Yeah, I mean, people are always going to be skeptical on the first question they would ask in the same way the first question I would ask is like, what's different? Why should I talk to you? Why does it matter? There's like mm-hmm. X number of other platforms that I can um, actually get corporate bond liquidity on. And I would say that actually 
you know, we are the first institutional regulated DLT marketplace for, um, you know, traditional securities supporting traditional settlement mechanisms. But, um, you know, we are also on a journey with our clients to become the first um, digital assets platform that's an institutional grade platform in a regulated marketplace. And so I think the journey is extremely extensible. Um, and, you know, so we look forward to um, extending the range yeah. of our platform. But uh, it's very important to be focused and to focus on being successful at something. And that um, thing that we're going to be successful at out of the gate yeah. is, uh, is is corporate credit. Yeah, it definitely makes you guys stand out. And another thing, too, the team you've built, obviously, I mean, you have a lot of credibility in the market, I feel, which is obviously always going to help. Um, so thank you so much. I've learned a lot. Love Le- Ledger Edge. If anyone thank needs you. any more information, I'll link all of this and how you can learn more about Ledger Edge in the bio of the episode. So yeah. thank you for joining well, me thanks. today. Yeah. I mean, ask me uh, to come back on in another six months to. and I'll let you know how we're getting on. I would love to. Let's uh, bookmark that. In a few months, we'll have you come on and tell <laughs> us how you're doing. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. to this episode of Life in the Fast Chain. I hope you enjoyed it. Make sure to share on your networks and you can always tweet at me at Bread and Rudder if you liked the episode. Stay tuned for a new episode in two weeks. Mm-hmm.